Thank you, Jeff, for leading our worship this morning. So good to see everybody. I know Jeff already mentioned this, but the, the Comptons are with us. The Batsons are back in town. We've got the, the Odells are visiting. We've got a whole lot of folks we just haven't seen in a while, and it's so good to see all of you guys. I hope you'll uh, stick around and let us hug on you and tell you how much, how excited we are that you're with us. In the last couple of weeks, uh, I'm in school and I've been finishing up sort of finals, and which is exciting. Not that finals are exciting. I'm just glad they're done. Uh, but I've been doing a couple different research papers on like these different texts, and and one of them is actually from Ephesians chapter two. And I've read this section of Ephesians chapter 2 probably a hundred times in the last month, just reading it, dissecting it, answering all these ridiculously deep theological questions about it. Because it seems like all the classes really operate on this really high level when it comes to Scripture. And just, I guess, being a preacher, something I keep coming back to is, is really what I'm reading is just, so what? So, so what, what, is this, what does this mean to us now? And so if you're with us this morning, we just switched things around, and so I've been teaching the, uh, the Understanding the Bible class on Sunday mornings, and we talk about it. Sometimes it means going really deep, right, digging into genre and literary context and how do I read Colossians different from Chronicles, but we try to, each week, answer a simple question about the book, and that is, so what? So, so what does this mean to me as a Christian right now? How does this help us become a better church starting tomorrow? And I feel like so often, so often we get caught up in the day-to-day. We got jobs, they got sports, kids are in stuff after school, there's activities, there's weekly practice, there's games on the weekend. And so we, we pack our schedules and we carve out this little slice of time for God. But yet so often what we do in these precious few moments we have together has so little to do, it seems, with everything else. And I don't think this is an intentional perspective. I don't think this is an intentional decision. When you think about it, when, we, when we've really packed our weeks with, like I said, duties and responsibilities and tasks and errands and a, and a whole lot of stuff that just kind of has to get done, we can start showing up on Sunday morning like this is just another thing that just kind of has to get done. And so we carve out this place for God and we make this space for him, but that's, that's really it. We kind of compartmentalize. And so however long that time might be, we go back to our weeks. And this approach is fine for a lot of things. If you get up in the morning and you got to go out and mow the yard before it rains, you just got to do what it's got to get done. It doesn't matter. You don't have to like it. You don't have to enjoy it. You just know it's something that just has to get done. It doesn't really affect anything you do the rest of that week. I don't, I don't know what dinner looks like at you guys' house, but I would say about roughly once a month, uh, we sit down for a meal that we've actually planned for, like more than 24 hours in advance, and we sit down and we're eating food we actually enjoy and we've looked forward to. It's like, oh, this is, I'm so excited to have this meal right now. But the other 95% of the time, it's okay, it's 6.30, we don't really have time to go to the store. Do we have anything thought? Yeah, we got the stuff left over, but we had that yesterday. They're not going to want that. Can we put that, and now it's 7 o'clock and the kid has to be in bed by 8. I don't know what dinner looks like at your house, but that's, I'd say, 28 days of the month for us. But we make it work, that's fine. But, but we're so busy that we're almost never eating to actually enjoy a meal together so much as shoveling something down and it, it's 7 o'clock and something's got to be on the table, right? And there's kind of a difference between these things. Thanksgivings, Christmas, big holidays, those are when you sit down with your family and you just you enjoy the time you have together. But the rest of the time, it's put something on the plate and scarf something down and get on with the, the evening. And I feel like so often... We get busy with the rest of our week that we kind of do the same thing with worship. 
When it's dinner time, we know we're supposed to eat something. When it's Sunday, we know we're supposed to go to church. We've got to make time for God. We're supposed to consume something of spiritual substance. So we kind of throw it on our plate and we scarf it down. But we're not really treating it like it's something that's going to change the rest of our lives, when in reality, it probably should. I would suggest it really should. And so this morning, I want us to think about just a portion of this text from Ephesians. It's a very rich text theologically. It's right in the middle of one of Paul's long, continuous discourses, almost rants that he seems to go on in his letters. And we're just going to cut off a couple of verses of it. But as we read it together, I want you to be thinking about this question. How does this, how does this make me a better Christian the moment I leave? So what? What does this have to do with the rest of my life? So it's from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18 through 22. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18 through 22. For through him we, have, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, and whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Normally, in this time frame, normally we talk about salvation, we talk about it at the end. But I want to talk about it right now off the top, because salvation, you'll notice, is actually assumed in our text. Of course, we know Paul's writing to Christians, but we, we know specifically over and over in this passage, he says, in Christ, to those in Christ, now in Christ. And so salvation, a right relationship with Jesus, is actually assumed. And what Paul is going to say next is how, how that salvation should continually affect us, how it should change our day-to-day, how it should impact the rest of our lives. And it starts with this cornerstone analogy. He says we're all saints. We're all members of the household of God. And so I want you to think about something. What's that? I want you to just follow me here for a moment. It's two shapes, triangle, rectangle. But you ask any kid between the age of about 3 and 13 to draw a house, and you're probably going to get a picture that looks something like this. Heck, I'm 29. You ask me to draw a house, it's probably going to look like that. Two basic shapes, put them together. We all pretty much recognize this representing a house, even though it looks nothing like anywhere any of us live. Well, even though we don't look at all like a house, Paul says we, as Christians, together we make up the household of God. That when all of us are together, when we are combined forces, if you will, make up the household of God. And in fact, he says that that household is built on something special. He says it's built upon all those who spoke the word of God. All the messengers of God, all all God's teachings that are in his word. He says God's house is built upon those teachings. It's built upon his word, upon his word being delivered and preached to the prophets and the apostles. And so he says this forms the foundation of the house of God. What's interesting is Paul says, even within this foundation, there is one thing that even all the prophets and apostles and messengers of God, there's one thing that even all of those other teachings are built on, and they're built upon Jesus. It says, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. So you and I, as the household of God, everything, everything that we do should be built upon the Scripture. 
Absolutely. Everything we do should be rooted in the teachings of God, but at the very center. He says there's one thing that even all of this scripture rests upon, and at the very cornerstone of that foundation should be Jesus. And I think about, when I make my schedule for the week or the month or what have you, really a day-to-day person these days, but when I lay out the week and and I think about our time and our energy that we bring when we worship God, I think all too often God gets slotted in. What I mean by that is our, our weeks our weeks fill up with everything else. And then we say, okay, I got this free time here and I can make this happen. You know, we're kind of busy Saturday, but I, I can make this happen. I can fit God in right here. When the Bible says that what God did through his son should be at the center, at the very center of everything we do, the chief cornerstone. This language, this language of Jesus being the cornerstone did not originate with Paul, but it actually dates all the way back to Isaiah. Isaiah 28, 16 says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, and the one who believes will never be shaken. Jesus, of course, interprets this to the Pharisees in Matthew 21 when he tells them of the parable of the vineyard workers, a passage we looked at not all that long ago. But he ends that parable with this line from Matthew 21, 42. It says, you never read, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So in the Old Testament and the New Testament and the Gospels and the letters, but over and over, all throughout the Bible, we see this language of, have you not read? Have you never heard? Have you heard the word of the Lord, what the Lord said? That this is what should be the cornerstone in our lives, what was done through Christ Jesus. And so God tells us over and over to, to put Christ at the center of our lives, but so often we take care of everything else, and then we sort of fit in the time and the energy we give to God. Sometimes I think even in our worship, and in our worship when we take the Lord's Supper, when we take the communion, we, we take those 15 seconds or whatever it is to reflect on, on what he's done for us, on that sacrifice, is that something we're slotting in to the worship service? Is it a box we check? Is it an obligation we fulfill? I remember back during COVID, and, and this might have even been before COVID, there was a storm that was coming through Dallas. It was horrible. It was like a Sunday night. And everyone kind of knew it was coming. There was already tornado warnings in certain areas. And I remember going and sort of telling my wife, okay, we're about to see what we have to do to have a service. Because at the very beginning, they said, hey, we know bad weather's coming. We're to keep this a little short tonight. We know you guys have already come. And I said, okay, we're about to see what is really essential, what we boil this down to. I believe we said one prayer, sang a song, we did the Lord's Supper. But, but I wonder if we're just fulfilling an obligation or if we as a congregation can honestly say, no, 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 everything else, every other part of our worship is centered around Jesus and around what he did for us. And what's funny is I see this trend in, in churches to, to sort of build it around the preacher, which I, of course, find very funny. It's just not, a, not about me. And I love Jeff. I think Jeff does a great job. It's actually not about Jeff either. But, but it's funny. And, I, and this trend manifests itself in different ways. Like sometimes I see a lot, oftentimes, people are comfortable coming in late. And in larger congregations, as soon as the sermon is over, people are going for the door. Which is funny. So I really hope you're not showing up here for me. I, I mean, the, the prayers aren't for me. The worship's not for me. The scripture reading's certainly not for me. So why would this 25 minutes or so be more important than anything else. 
It's about Jesus. It should be. It should be about what he has done for us and how that changes every, everything else in our life. And if you really believe that, then it's everything we do. It's not just the lesson. It's not just the communion. But when we pray, when we sing, when we read scripture, when we fellowship, we understand that rooted in all that within the corner of that foundation is Christ. And it's directed at God for his glory. And so every moment is of equal importance. When you start your week, when you plan your year, when you, when you kind of consider your 10-year, 20-year goals, people love asking when you're like in that high school, college age, so what's your plan? What's your plan? And I remember I'm like, I, I don't know what I'm doing next week. Why am I having to make five-year decisions about my life? This doesn't make sense to me. And looking back, I think it was a horrible decision for someone to tell me to make a five-year decision for my life at that stage of my life, but that's another conversation. When we, when we plan out these 10, 20-year goals and we say, you know, this is where I want to be, are we committing those plans around Christ as the cornerstone? Or, or are we saying, this is what I want and I'd like to be here. And, you know, I think I would like a house of around here and maybe in this neighborhood or our kids to be in the schools. And then, you know, what? once we figure that out, we'll move and we'll get there. And then once we get there, we'll figure out a church. And then once we figure out a church, we'll start worshiping. Or is he the cornerstone? We make our schedules, we always have things that are negotiable, right? Because plans change, things come up, especially if you've got kids, if you've got family, if you've got loved ones who are in the hospital, who get sick, something happens, right? You've got to have some flexibility in your schedule. So when you're making your schedule, what are the negotiable things? What are the things that you're like, well, I, I'd like to do this, but this doesn't really have to get done. I had the illustration of dinner, and I guess that's why I think about it so much, is because you know, you might not be that hungry, but if you've got kids, you know they've got to get fed before they go to bed. And so every night, you know, 7 o'clock, okay, i got to start this at 7 o'clock or our whole evening's ruined. And so when you're planning out your week, is making time for God one of those non-negotiable things where you say, you know what, I can't go 24 hours without living water, and so this absolutely has to get done, or, or is it one of those things that's, you know, if I, had, if I have time on Tuesday morning or Thursday afternoon, we'll, we'll slot this in here. And so when we leave... And leave here this afternoon. I want you to think about what are you doing Monday through Saturday? What are you doing Monday through Saturday so that you can honestly lay your head on the pillow at night and say, you know what, God, you and your son are at the center of everything I do. That no matter what happens, no matter how busy we get, that Tuesday night, that Thursday evening, that Friday afternoon, I'm going to make time to dive into your word, to talk to you in prayer, just to reflect on what your will is for my life. So that I can confidently say the gift of your son is the cornerstone of my life. And it changes everything else that I do. This text we read in Ephesians says being the household of God means we are built upon Christ. He says it starts with Jesus and that is our foundation. But Paul also says there's this end goal in mind. And we look back at our text from Ephesians, specifically verse 19. He says Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple to the Lord. And so he says we, we ought to start with Jesus, but there's also a way that we need to finish. If we think about Paul's illustrations, he calls Christians the household of God. When you build a house, you know that the structural integrity of that house, the strength of that house, what it can hold is, is completely dependent on that foundation. That a house is only going to be as strong as, as the foundation can hold. But when you finish out the house, 
when you're framing the walls and you're laying out rooms in the kitchen and you're thinking, you know, we'd like a nice open concept over here or maybe 10-foot ceilings and the windows would be facing the east instead of the west or whichever way they're supposed to be. We'd like the bathroom to be here. And you lay all of that out how? Well, according to, to your desires, your intents, your, your will. Or if you're working with a developer, their will. they got the options and the prefab and the approved plans and you can choose from this or the cabinets or the closets, all the pre-approved floor plans that you can decide what you'd like to choose. Well, in our case, the designer, the architect, the developer of our house is God. That's what it means to be called the household of God, that we are constructed and we are built and we are conformed to his will. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So whose house is it? He says, so then neither he who is anything nor is he who waters, but God gives the increase. So whose house is it? He says, now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. So whose house is it? Earlier in the same chapter of Ephesians, the Bible says we are his handiwork, his workmanship. Which means God has a will and a desire for your life. He has ideas of how he wants you to live. We just talked about this this morning of, of clean and unclean living. That he has desires and a will for you. And so what I ask you, is God the architect of your house or is he a consultant? Is he the one whom everything is constructed to please at his will? Are we seeking to, 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 to be acceptable to him in all of the things that we do? Or... Or is God a consultant, we call him. We say, I'm having some issues with this over here. Can you just fix this? No, 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 I don't need you to look at the wall over there. Just the bathroom, you know, with the faucet, there's a leak over here. Just fix this, and then I'll keep doing everything with the rest of the house the way I want to do it. We're talking about the difference between, like, a CEO and a guy working at the help desk in IT. And there's nothing wrong with the IT help desk guy. Someone's got to do it, right? Someone's got to take us yelling at him over the phone when things don't work. But he's not the CEO. CEO walks in, people's heads perk up, put your clothes on a little nicer, you tuck your shirt in, you make sure everything you're doing is exactly what this guy wants. This is the guy you call when you have a problem. You don't really care what he wants you to do with the rest of your day, you just want to fix your computer. And so what, which one of those things sounds like our relationship with God? Our foundation is on Jesus Christ, but he says we build and we grow with knowledge of what the end result ought to look like. That we have knowledge of God's will, that God's will is actually knowable to us. It's not this mysterious, unfounded, just abstract thing. And if you remember that idea of an architect or a builder or a developer, you know, they're particular people. Before they break ground, they want everything laid out. They want to know where everything's going to go before they start construction, before they fire up the, the bulldozers and the backhoes. I mean, when you build a house, everything you do is according to a plan that you have already laid out. You don't get the contractors on site and start framing the walls and say, you know what, actually, we've decided we want that bathroom upstairs. Or, you know, we want, we want the, the, the 10-foot vaulted ceilings instead of the 8-foot ceilings, and we'd actually like the windows to be over. No, you wouldn't do that. Why? Because by the time you begin building, there is already a blueprint. There's already a blueprint. And so many people, so many people out in the world are, are living their lives. They're building their lives totally and completely winging it. We say things like, you know, next year, next year I'm going to really work on me. 
I think I need some time for myself. And then, you know, the time goes by and you're getting lonely. So, you know what? I think I'm ready for a relationship. I need some companionship in my life. I need someone I can confide in. And then when that doesn't work out, they're like, well, you know what? I just wasn't ready. It wasn't their fault. It was on me. I just wasn't ready for that in my life right now. And so we've got all these social media cliches floating around in our heads. And we just go year to year, even sometimes one relationship to the next in life. And we just sort of chase whatever sounds good in the moment. And we become slaves to emotion if we're not careful. We become slaves to worldly influencers. One of my favorite verses is Jeremiah 17, 9. He says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And I think sometimes people in the world, we chase like stray dogs over just whatever sounds good, whatever makes sense in that exact moment. And they live life with no guiding force or direction. And so when they're 85 and they look back on the house that they've built, the handiwork that is their life, there's no sign of any architect. There's no core design philosophy. Instead, we become a piecemeal shack that is cobbled together. There's no unifying direction. If we go back to that question I asked us at the very beginning. So what? What does this mean as a follower of Christ? Well, I would say it means your faith should be evident in your life right now. It should be evident in the things you do right now. It means that we should have the singular guiding force of God at work from the very beginning of all things. That when you make those decisions, from the major life-changing ones to where we're going to move and where we're going to take a job, to the small ones and who we're going to have dinner with and whether I'm going to call my mom again on Tuesday even though she made me upset Saturday. Are you flying by the seat of your pants with just whatever feels good in that moment? Or is every, every decision you say, God, is this, this how you want me to be? Is this getting me closer to the person that you were desiring for me? Or are we just going fully on instinct and gut feeling? As you go throughout your week, I want to challenge you to see yourself through the eyes of the people around you. Because I would certainly say that, oh, of course I I live through Jesus. Of course I live for God. Of course people know how I feel on these issues. But I I want you to think, well, how does your your classmate at school or that first Monday morning staff meeting with your coworkers, how do they they know you're a Christian? How does your buddy, the one you drive back and forth with at work to the job sites and you spend all day in the car with, how do they know you're a Christian? Or when we go to the store and we're going to the Piggly Wiggly and we're checking out our groceries, how does the person checking out your groceries and putting them in a sack, how do they know what you believe? And just to be clear, it's not all about evangelism. It's not all about door knocking. It's not trying to give somebody a business card from your church every time you go anywhere. In fact, I want you to think about if, if you told those people that I mentioned what you believe, how many of them would be surprised? You ever had that conversation with somebody? That's pretty humbling, isn't it? You want to know how many people, I'm not even going to say it, but you want to, I'll tell you this. There were people surprised when I said, you know what, I think I want to go into ministry. <clears throat> Several years ago, I was a diesel mechanic. Not many diesel mechanics go work for churches, so I don't blame them. They were a little surprised. But the people that hurt were the friends, you know, people I thought I'd spent some time with, and they were like, why? That didn't sound like you at all. It's a humbling experience. But how many of those same people would go, you know what, uh, I knew, I saw this coming. I knew that if you said, hey, if you just said, hey, I'm a Christian, would they say, you know what, I thought there was something different about you. 
You seem to have this joy that people don't really have. You seem to have this purpose in your life that's different from the purpose other people have. You seem to have a priority in your scheduling and your activities. And you do things that's not what other people do. You don't do things that some people do. And they would say, I knew. I knew you were one of those people who actually... They didn't just say they were a Christian, but I knew you were one of those people who actually practiced what they believed. I could tell you were somebody who was changed by your faith. So we begin to close this morning. I want us to think about building on Jesus, on following God's blueprint. We are to grow into a temple to the Lord. A temple to be this dwelling place, the text says, that he dwells to me among us and live with us and abide with us. But we need to follow that blueprint. And so do we think yearly, do we think weekly, even daily, about becoming a dwelling place for God? If you're with us this morning and you've never made that decision to put Jesus as the foundation in your life, if you don't know what it means for him to be the cornerstone of your, how you're living or if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian who's wandered and you realize, you know what, I think I've lost God's blueprint for my life. If there's anything else that we can do for you, won't you come at this time while we stand and while we sing? Would you be pre-